This episode is all about affordable housing. And what you might not realize is there may be a house in your street that is used for affordable housing. Are you an investor? Are you wanting to be an investor? Perhaps you can think about ways that you can tie in your investment property and provide it to somebody in need. Before we get into the chat today, I'm going to do some groundwork, just give you some details and data. The private market is failing to provide affordable housing for low to very low income renters in many areas. You know how competitive it is out there. People with big salaries struggle to get into rental properties. You can only imagine how hard it is for someone on a low or very low income. An individual is considered to be in housing stress if they are spending over 30% of their take-home income on housing. Now, this episode is brought to you by Central Coast Council. And as you know, I grew up on the Central Coast. I love the coast. If you're not aware where the Central Coast is, we're an hour between Sydney and Newcastle in New South Wales, right on the coast there. Interestingly enough, I reckon this snapshot of the population could be very similar to a lot of other regions all around Australia. So thank you to Central Coast Council for bringing up this topic of affordable housing. On the Central Coast alone, 24,200 households are in housing stress. Like this is just one stretch of the New South Wales coast. So that's like 60% of people on the Central Coast who don't have income left over for essential items after they've paid rent. Wild, isn't it? Nationally, there has been a 5.2% increase in homelessness. That's the ABS 2021 statistics. In New South Wales, the most notable increases were Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people, which had a 10% increase. Children under 10, 6.8% increase. And youth, 12 to 18, 3.7% increase. There are a few ways that affordable housing can be provided. Best practice and contemporary affordable housing is delivered through community housing providers and head leasing programs. High quality affordable housing is safe, it's accessible and quality in design. It is housing that fits in the density and the character of the suburb and developed through genuine engagement and consultation with residents. Affordable housing, it is often misunderstood. People think clustered, high density, ugly, unsafe and poorly maintained structures. Contemporary affordable housing is spread out, sustainable, it can be energy efficient and part of the urban fabric. You may not know that a house in your street is an affordable housing provider. Now let's talk about the definition of head leasing. You'll hear it in this episode. It's a leasing agreement that is made between an organization and a private rental market landlord and then sublease to clients who are in case management often medium to low or very low income individuals or households. Now, for the property owners listening, some of the benefits to this head lease arrangement, you'll get the full market rent, regardless of what the tenant's contribution is. They'll pay your rent in advance each month and on time directly to you. They'll pay other required charges like water usage, The fees are pretty competitive with private real estates, and of course it is dependent on the community housing provider. They'll pay the full rental bond, they provide regular inspections, the property is returned at the end of the lease in a similar condition, less your usual wear and tear. The community housing provider will employ staff who understand the legal obligations of tenants and property owners, and will ensure the tenancy is professionally managed. So this episode, it will really peel back the curtain and remove a lot of misconceptions about what affordable housing is, and the types of properties that are listed and used for affordable housing 
and the type of people who may be living in affordable housing. So you're in for a real treat with this episode. I'm interviewing Matt Old. He has a community housing providing business called Enlarge Living and Central Coast Council have partnered with us to bring you this episode and to raise awareness to real affordable housing and the real issues that are in the community. I'll start the episode now. It was a long intro, but I really wanted to give you some background information and context before we get into the interview. This is a fascinating listen. Thank you to Matt for giving up his time. Thank you to Enlarge Living. Thank you to Grant who gave us a testimony in this podcast. And thank you to Central Coast Council for getting behind this really important issue. So I bring you our chat about affordable housing and let's send this to an investor that you know or someone who needs to hear a good news story about all the good that is actually happening. My name's Glenn James and you're listening to My Millennial Money. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Matt, welcome to My Millennial Money. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate you having me on. Now, we've only just met. Yes. And uh, when I had a phone call with you a couple of months ago, you told me a little bit about your story. I jumped straight on the phone to Rach, uh, our producer, and I'm like, just the five, 10-minute conversation that we had, it was such a wholesome conversation, just hearing your background, your story, what you're doing now. And I said to Rach, I am so keen to share Matt's story with all our listeners. And I haven't been that encouraged to share someone's story in a long time. So talk to us maybe what you're doing today and then we'll go backwards and you can explain how you got to what you're doing today and then what you're going to be doing in the future. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting you say that there is a housing and a rental crisis going on and in particular what I do today is I put together housing for people with disability. So um, in a really competitive market for rental, if you had a choice between, say, putting um, someone on double income, no kids, and then going, hey, there's a service provider who wants to put a couple of people with disability into your house, sometimes it's very difficult just in terms of that competitiveness. So my whole business was around providing um, sustainable, really good quality uh, housing for people with disabilities. So that's what I kind of do in a nutshell. But you've kind of pivoted to not just disability, but to legitimately furnish affordable housing for a variety of different people, uh, and particularly coming out of homelessness. Yes, yeah, I attend a a church uh, in uh, Macquarie Hills and they have a charity program called Our Backyard, Car to Home Project. And as part of what they did was they allow people to come in their cars and stay overnight and I think they can stay up to 30 days a year. Uh, And But the bit which they didn't quite have figured out was the car to home. So they had 
places for people to stay in their cars, but then providing the houses. So with my business, there was often times where sometimes our houses would be available for a period of time while we're waiting for the National Disability Insurance Scheme to kind of catch up and approve the people to go in them. So I thought potentially there was a way that, you know, if our houses were vacant for a couple of months because we're waiting on, you know, the bureaucracy of the uh, NDIS to work out, that I could then use them to actually assist people who were in crisis um, or were living in their cars. And so we, we kind of started to have that discussion a few years back. Um, we then decided to become a lot more purposeful around that in that we realised there was a, a bigger need and just kind of putting someone in a house for four to six weeks or even, you know, two to three months wasn't going to necessarily help them as much as we potentially could by giving them a longer-term solution. Yeah. So that's kind of how that that pivoted to that space of, you know, really becoming purposeful. I think we've got um, seven houses now that are totally dedicated to the Our Backyard program wow. and moving people from their cars into homes. Awesome. So that's where we are right now. Yep. Now... How old are you at the moment? I'm 45. 45, yes. okay. Let's rewind and yep. just kind of set the scene as to how we got here yep. with all the stuff that you're doing. I don't know, like what was your early 20s like? And maybe take us from early 20s and start sure. to talk about your life. Sure. Well, it was interesting. I grew up in a um, Christian home. I was a preacher's kid. My dad was a pastor and all that. But just as I kind of finished school, my parents actually split up. I took the divorce really hard. I was, even though I was in the university of my choice, I was, you know, I really was set up really well for life. But I just made the decision and it was out, out of my own hurt and my own brokenness at the time. I just made this decision that I just didn't want to live my life as I knew it. So I went about destroying that. And I got quite heavily involved in, you know, the party scene in Newcastle. I was out five nights a week, you know, sometimes six, lots of times. And then I, uh, you know, I dabbled in drugs and bits and pieces, although that never took a massive stronghold on me. But uh, one thing that did take a real stronghold on me was gambling. Right. And so throughout my whole early 20s, I actually started to gamble quite um, readily uh, and, you know, there were so many clubs and pubs and poker machines and um, in, and my game of choice was video roulette and so I actually got quite heavily in debt in that, I got in trouble with the law in that and I actually found myself at one point just before I was going to um, enrol into a, a rehab down in Sydney for 12 months, um, I was living in my car. Mm. And I actually knew of our of the church car park where friends. It's a church that I go to now, and um, which have the our backyard car to home program. Uh, I knew that it was a safe place for me to sleep in in that Newcastle in the, in the area. So I actually spent a few nights there just before I went, and so that kind of has always driven me further over the last kind of you mm. know fifteen twenty years. Just you know. I just want to talk about the gambling because we've recently done an episode about gambling with a psychologist and, you know, you talk about, you know, you got into debt. Like on the money front, when you were really addicted to gambling, how were you getting the money? Were you working at the time? Were you, 
you know, payday loans? Like how bad did it get and how did you get the money to keep up that addiction? Yeah, so it got pretty bad. I, I, I was working at the time. So, and look, I was earning kind of decent money. This was the early 2000s and I was doing some, funnily enough, I was in sales and I was doing mortgage broking and showing Mm. people how to get out of debt. At the same time, (laughs) I was quite heavily in debt. So, I was doing that. I also, you know, I I got convicted of some um, things when I'd taken some money off my parents' credit cards, off some friends. Um, So I really wasn't a a great person to be around or Mm. or, or, um, a good person at all. So it really took me down that hole of, you know, stealing and then moving to, um, you know, credit card debt and so forth there. What was the, um, the, I guess, bedrock when you hit that rock bottom with the gambling? It was an interesting thing because I, I think friends and family had propped me up for so long, for a couple of year period, and, and they did it with all the best intention. And so it was nothing, you know, no wrong there. It was just that they did prop that up. But once they all kind of took their hands off and said no more and they drew that line in the sand, I, within two to three months I'd made some decisions, I'd hit rock bottom, I was in trouble with the law, I actually got court ordered to go down to this rehab and I spent, you know, almost eight or nine months there mm. as well. Um, but, yeah, once they kind of all took their hands off and said enough's enough, I hit rock bottom pretty quickly. Mm. And when you were living in your car, because there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and even me, like I, I don't know like the practicalities because I'm a hugely practical guy. Yeah. Like you're living in your car, you know, how do you find a shower or like toilets? Do you, or are you dropping into people's homes and visiting? Like how does it work, you know, day to day and you've got a job and you're unhoused basically? Yeah, at the time I was living in my car, I wasn't working by then. Right, right. I, I, it was actually the space between when I was enrolled to go down to this rehab, sure. waiting on some court dates, and so I wasn't working. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. You would, you know, I mean, fortunately Newcastle has some great beaches and we're talking it was well, around March, April this time, last uh, 20-odd years ago. Not last year, definitely <laughs> wasn't last year. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so you you just make do and use public amenities yeah. and so forth. And I think that's what's one of the great features of the Our Backyard kind of home project is that the church car park is available for people living in their cars. They have washing machines, they have showers, they have toilets, they have a kitchen there, they have food there that you can make a meal. So that didn't exist 20-odd years ago when, when I was living in my car. But, yeah, the practical side of it, I would never want to do it. Mm. Uh, um for a long period of time. But, you know, I've hear stories of, um, you know, mums and who've got four kids fleeing domestic violence and they lived in their car for like months. Mm. Four kids, domestic violence fleeing and the safest place was their car, in a car park. So, you know, I did it. Mine was because of my poor choices. Some people are forced in that situation um, through circumstances beyond their control. Do you think like anecdotally from when you were living in the car 20 years ago there are more cars in that car park now i believe so yeah Uh, i i was talking just around the numbers uh just the other day with the our backyard people and they have somewhere between three and five people in their cars every night 
in in the our backyard program. So they're helping somewhere between 150 and 200 kind of people a year, and and they kind of cap their numbers at that. There are more people that they could help, but they also are trying to make sure that they're not creating a place where people will feel unsafe. And you you do have people, you know, uh, with all sorts of other issues besides just sleeping in their car. You know, there could be some DV, trauma. Uh, you've also got alcohol, drugs. So there's lots of other different issues. So mm. they're very careful around that, but it is to, so that they can protect that space for people using their service. Yeah, Wow. So at what point, like, had you always wanted to do something with homelessness or did you always just want to do something with housing? Like you, obviously you like the industry, quote unquote, because you were in mortgage broking and helping people get into homes. Yep. But did, was it always there? Like when you kind of, you know, got through the gambling thing and reset your life. Yep. Like, was it like, oh far out, I survived that, I want to do stuff to help other people or was it more of a, I want to do the housing thing, do, you know, the NDIS route and help people in that way and then it kind of, as you said, you've had some vacancies and you're like, oh, hang on, two and two together, I can help you. Like, what was that link like? I think the the link was when I started the business, a friend of mine asked me, particularly, and, and look, I am a, a Christian and I attend church and he asked me what my view on business and kingdom is. Right. And I really hadn't had one at that time. My wife and I were going through a few things, but we, we decided to start the business anyway. And when, and I knew that this business was going to be a success because I had been following the NDIS since 2011 and I didn't start the business till 2018. So... I knew it was going to be a success. I knew also that, you know, I could have my critics in that people go, oh, you're just taking advantage of, you know, the National Disability Insurance Scheme and people with disability and making lots of money off that. And look, I won't lie, we are doing well out of that, but we are providing homes for people that would never have got them or hadn't had them previously and we're providing beautiful homes. Mm. So I'm not ashamed of that. So then it was, for me, it was like, well, you know, with a kingdom purpose, with something bigger than myself, what can I do to help? And I just started talking with the Outback Yard uh, team about what we could do to help. And I had some houses available. And so I went for that. And I think what drove me was that I'd experienced homelessness. I'd experienced that, you know, circumstance and in my case, bad choices or whatever you do, you can end up homeless. Uh, It was only, you know, probably six years ago before I I, um, really kicked off the business, I'd made some bad financial decisions. And there was some, you know, places that I think I put my wife and I into some really hard times. So I guess it was about really knowing that there was definitely something I could do. I wasn't going to go out of the lane of my business, developing houses, building homes, getting properties together um, was something that I knew how to do well. And so I was able to just tack that on in a way. Yeah, awesome. So practically now you've got I think you said seven properties yep. that you provide for anyone that needs a house. Yep. Uh, and we're not talking about the NDIS part of the business here. 
literally you've got the seven properties. Now of those seven properties, let's get a bit nerdy here. Do sure. you own them personally direct? Do you set up unit trusts? Are they, you know, uh, and we'll play a bit of a recording of a property that um, you don't own that you help. Uh, but the ones that you own, how do you own those properties? So what we've done, I do own different properties throughout my business. The actual particular ones that I've put towards the Outback Yard program I've, has come through conversations with with owners, with people that I know. And so one of the um, investors in this, they had just about had someone move out of their house. Um, they knew that rental prices were going up and the real estate was actually pressuring them, saying you really could get, you know, X amount for their house and they felt that was way too much for their house. Um, and so I said, well, have you thought about just getting on board with what I'm doing and I said what do you what do you think is a fair price for your house and they came up with a figure and I said okay I will well enlarge will pay that fair price and here's what we do is we actually then let um the our backyard people kind of find people to put in that who've experienced homelessness we ask them to do a contribution to the rent so they can actually start getting a rent history um so it's actually been just talking to different people who have property who also you know want to invest and and do the right thing for their own kind of finance and and money plans but also want to do some good Mm -hmm. so that's how that's mostly come about yeah um i do have a a plan over the next kind of five to ten years to go quite um invest heavily into the social housing market because i believe it's going to be one of the next big election issues that we face as a country Mm. apart from the end DIS, like which we have been through that back in 2012. However, um, you know, I just think social housing isn't going to go away. So if as long as it's within my lane and it's something that I can assist with, that's where I'd like to be able to help and encourage other people to do that by taking away the risk for them. So the seven properties that you uh, facilitate, yes, not all of them are owned by you personally, but you cover the deficit of rent. Yes. So what I do is I take out a head lease with all the investors and say, this is what we're doing. We are we are providing homes for people with homelessness. We look after them as if they are one of our NDIS properties. And a lot of these investors have actually invested into some of our NDIS stuff as well. So we say... We should probably do an episode with you just on NDIS because we yeah. get a lot of those questions. But anyway, sorry. Sure. No, I'm happy to talk <laughs> yeah. about it because it is a great... Um, it is a great thing for Australia, the yeah. NDIS. It has its challenges, obviously, but it is a great thing, I believe, for yeah. people with disability. So, yeah, I, I one of the things I think in anything is is looking at risk and people are like, well, in such a competitive environment, why would I take someone with no rental history, <laughs> no job, no income and put them in one of my houses? So I try and take away that risk. Yeah. I then put in um, a head lease, we get a contribution and then the gap is paid by and large and you know fortunately our business is doing well and we are able to get and that's the way that we're able to give back Mm. so a practical example you've got uh someone who owns a property and the real estate is telling them oh we think you can get 650 a week this property owner is like well look i feel a bit guilty or i think that's a bit gougy and i do want to do some good 
I reckon maybe we'll just call it 500 would cover my costs and I'd still own the property and whatnot. So of that $500, realistically, you might say to someone who's come through the program, hey, you can have this house. Can you do 250 a week? Yep. Is that a simply enough yeah, for people to understand? That's exactly what it is. We actually do – we have two two rates. One is um, we go 200 to 250. One thing we've said to our backyard is we, we don't want anyone to miss out on the property because they don't have the funds. If they're willing to work with you and want to change – generally try and change their circumstances, we are more than happy to, you know – you you tell us the figure, but ideally it's around kind of that two hundred to two fifty for an individual. Um, for a couple, we look at three hundred to three fifty, or a family. Uh, so we one one example is you know we have a, a lady who was fleeing um, domestic violence from out I believe it was out out west. She came to Newcastle and uh, had four kids, mm. and for her four kids living in a car. Um, it was just a real tragic kind of circumstance for her and, you know, at the time she could only pay $200 and so we accepted that and she's been in a three-bedroom townhouse and her kids are in school. She now has a job. Um, Her eldest child is school captain of his school this year. So their life – and they've been in our properties now for almost 18 months – and we are talking with them about what their next steps are mm. um, because part of what we wanted to look at was a transition. But you also don't want to transition people into nothing either. So, but it is, a, you know, a powerful change for that family. Yeah, wow. So, I'm just like I've got my calculator out here. Like if you've got seven properties yep. and there's, we'll just call it on average, maybe $1,400 a week whole. Yep. If I go times 52... So you're basically contributing at least $70,000 a year uh, into affordable housing on the New South Wales Central Coast, Newcastle Hunter region. Yes. Yep. And that's just amazing and, you know, good on you because (laughs) that's a lot of money. And that would be the minimum because you provide some maintenance on the property. Yes, we, we do all the, we agree to do all the maintenance on the property plus we keep the lawns and gardens because one thing what we want people to do is but they're not all clustered together there's not seven properties all in a row and you go oh that's uh, you know the um, homelessness houses they're actually in really good suburbs you know Belmont North we've got a really nice house in Mayfield Walls End Wyong and Wungara as well and Wadalba so you know we're not trying to gather people together and make that we actually want them to feel proud of their houses so we do put in that now I get two hundred or three hundred seventy-two thousand dollars seems like a lot, and mm. and I'm not saying it's not an insignificant amount, but as a business, and and this is where I'm going to be starting to encourage my business friends is, you know, can you afford two hundred dollars a week, ten thousand dollars a year to help a family um, change their life, mm-hmm. move out of domestic violence, help a young mum um, stop getting beaten up or putting herself in violent situations? 
can you help me with that? And so, you know, that's part of my next kind of step mm. in, in that as well. And so, yeah, so when you say $75,000, seems like a big amount, but I actually just break it down and go, that $200 is helping this mm. couple or this family. And we're able to help kind of seven different families at the present. So it's kind of like like you acknowledge that your business is going very well yes. um, with the NDIS and providing that housing. You've also taken the view that, well, my business is flourishing because of this. I'm going to put that back into the community yes. effectively. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Hey, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about a couple of case studies sure. and then what uh, Matt's doing with the Enlarged Living Foundation. But before we go to the break, I'm just going to play a recording of one of the investors who has partnered with Matt who has provided a home and I've asked them why did they do it and what's their experience been like. Hi, my name's Grant from WJA United and we've been working with Matt and Enlarge by renting out our investment property to them for a number of years now. And when we first came across this idea that Enlarge was doing, we loved it. It really aligned with our values and really aligned with what um, we wanted to see in the community in regards to helping people who are just doing it tough, who just need um, a hand up and a help to really get back on their feet. And working with um, an organisation, Our Backyard, as well as Enlarge, has been such a fantastic thing. And so what we love about it is that not only are they helping them have a roof over their heads, because a lot of these people are living in their cars or homeless or wherever they might be, but they are really walking alongside of them to, to make sure they get out of maybe the cycle of poverty or the cycle of bad choices or whatever that might be, have a, a caseworker walking alongside of them doing that. And so that really aligned with what we wanted to do um, as really a, an investment business. That's what we do. And so it was something that um, just made sense to us. And the great thing about it is Enlarge takes care of it. Uh, we don't have to worry too much about it, um, apart from obviously the typical things of owning a property. I even actually popped over there one day um, just to measure something on the house and um, the, the tenants that were there were so grateful to be in the house. They wanted me to actually come into their house and show them because they just were so proud of their home and they treated it like their home. And I just thought that was funny. I actually said, no, it's okay, this is your home. Um, you need to be able to stay there and be able to do that. And so, um, yeah, it just kind of gave us a, a real sense of connection to them as well. And so we love working with uh, Enlarge and what they're doing. And I can encourage you, if you've got an investment property or you're thinking of buying an investment property, then maybe connect with an organisation like Enlarge or someone who's really helping the poor and the needy, the ones who just need a break to get in. Um, to the property market to get a rental property and that really does change their life, lifts their spirits, makes a huge difference in their life. So thanks for listening, appreciate it. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Radio, we're back. <laughs> we don't actually have a break. <laughs> Radio, so a couple of things there. We've just heard a story of one of the investors and why they've done that. Question. Can you give us a case study of something that you've noticed with – because when you were saying like people moving into a suburb from a a DV situation or an addiction and, you know, pressing reset on their life, can you give an example if – I don't know, if you've personally been into a house with somebody in the program or showed them and just talk about the – it's a – I don't know how to say the word but maybe the – dignity restoration factor of having a property. Yep. So I think one of the classic stories for us is a lady who uh, is 76 years old, needed a more accessible type property, something without steps, Um, not necessarily disability accessible, but just without steps because of her back condition. The wait list was... 12 years for her to be able to get into a a property and an area of her choice. So we were able to provide her a property. She'd been living in her car for six months. She had experienced um, fleeing domestic violence at that stage. She had also had times where people would um, shake her car and try to attack her and tell her to move on and so forth. So she actually ended up in the Our Backyard Car to Home project. They then approached us about how we could potentially house her so we found a suitable house. And so for her, you know, just the the amount of emotion and tears of just being safe, one thing. Finally being able to, she was able to just pay some uh, a, and contribute to the rent and then she was able to reconnect with some of her family and her, um, I think it was her daughter who lives kind of north recently. She went on a holiday to be able to do that um, and look, for her, we'll, we will house her until, you know, she no longer needs the house because there is nowhere for her to transition to. When you're 76 years old and you've got a 12-year wait, <laughs> you're 88 years old. So, you know, that's been for her a, a, an amazing kind of turnaround of her life at late, so late. And, and that is one of the biggest risks is women over 50 are your biggest risk of moving into homelessness. And it is one of those things which, you know... We, I believe you do get blessed and if you can be a blessing to others, you can and that's what we, we aim to do. You did say that, you know, in some cases, you, you know, you might be introduced to somebody from the program and 
kind of have that 18 months or 12 month window yes. because they are a you know a functioning person and they've just gone through a rough patch yep. and it's probably not healthy long term uh, for someone who has a full-time job and can afford market rents and all that long term but yep. helping people in a pinch what if you know someone did move in and they couldn't pay rent yeah that that has actually happened in the, in the last kind of six months or so. Uh, we have had someone and they did move in and they were partnered at the time and they were sharing the, the rental uh, responsibility. And so they, um, when they actually split up and we were unaware of that and so the rent kind of stopped, well, half the rent kind of stopped. So mm. they got a fair way behind. Um, I think one of the things particularly with what we're doing is and this is a good thing for the investor in terms of risk. The investor has no idea the person's behind. Right. Because in large, you're just continually paying the head lease rent for them. But we look at every situation. And I think one of the things particularly around with this person is they've made promises to pay it back and, and so forth. And you go, well, you're on limited income. I, knowing through my gambling history and so forth, I know I made promises when I had debts of I'd pay them back and do what, and I just knew that it wouldn't necessarily um, would, and I knew in myself it wouldn't come off. And then the pressure builds, so the pressure builds. So we've actually kind of sat down with this person and said, let's just start afresh, okay? So, and which is something that we're able to do. So we actually, um, our plan was, and our plan is, is I said, you just keep with your new plan that you're going to pay this amount of rent every fortnight and you do that for the remainder of your lease. They've got another four months left on their lease. And then I said, if you do that, we will actually just, you know, forgive the the debt forward so that you don't have any debts moving forward from from a rental perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think the, the other thing is, what we say 12 to 18 months is you, it, when you are debt... <laughs> Don't take it the wrong way, but when you are down in that kind of situation, it's a, it feels like a long way back. And so giving someone a 12 to 18-month window to actually kind of work through some of those issues without the pressure of having to come up with massive amounts of rent, without the pressure of uh, of not having a house and but actually living somewhere safe, I, it just gives people a better opportunity for success. Well, what I've noticed is, you know, you restore that human dignity um, – have people actually wanting to contribute to their own life, that goes a long way to go, all right, I've, I'm back at base ground. Now I can go and focus on my career and get things back in order. Yep. And we have regular chats with our backyard and say, what's the next for this person? Where are they at? Mm. And so we don't ever kind of just limit it to 12 or, or 18 months. As I said, the, the lady with the four kids, she's been there for 18 months. She'll probably be there for another, you know, at least another 12 months mm. because it would actually be detrimental for her who's gone so far, who's, as I said, her child is now the school captain of the school they're in. So it would be actually detrimental for us to kind of move them on just because it's 12, 18 months. We actually have those conversations and say, what's next? As long as there is a next and we're continually working, we don't want people to just become complacent mm. around it because it is it is a significant investment from in large and we just want people to always kind of keep so yeah so you're happy do. to provide the housing but you would like the person who's living in the property to be engaged in some type of social network or have some because you're just doing the house and the money side yep. you just want to make sure that 
hey, we are trying to get some progress over the coming years. Yeah, and we know what we do well, and that is look after houses and and find houses and buy them and and do whatnot. But so when we partnered with our backyard, we said it's actually your responsibility to to look after the person in terms of caseworking them, in terms of understanding what their financial situation, all those kind of things are, so that you you are working with those people and they are continuing to work on themselves. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So enlarge foundation. Yes. Talk to us about that. And everyone, if you are interested in learning more about um, the foundation, we'll put a link in the description or the show notes, whatever you call it these days, uh, and people can find out more and connect with what you're doing. Uh, That foundation, you know, if someone wanted to donate, there's tax deductible status because you've basically seen this thing that's real, like you've seen such a need. And one of my questions to you is like, your core business over here, it's almost like there is equal need in both of your businesses. Yep. So you've, you're looking now to formalise the charity side and effectively raise money from other people who want to give, Yep. find other investors and you just, you've got the process or the platform in order to help. So talk to us about the foundation. Yeah, so we initially kind of started looking at the social housing as a um, and becoming a registered social housing provider and it is something that we would like to do um, but then we also coming out of the disability industry and the not not for profit sector is where I have been in is there is a lot of opportunity to get kind of government funding if you are a have a not-for-profit type status so out of that we then kind of thought you know, what can we do that will help the not-for-profit status? We do have a desire to grow the um, housing from seven to 20 right across the central coast, you know, and also Newcastle Hunter. So we want to grow that. We also need to make it sustainable. So we looked at starting the foundation so that we can actually put through some of the tax deductibility things and also, as I believe, and... Um, will be social housing, one of the big next election issues, and mm. there is some lots of uh, government funding being thrown, thrown's probably not the right word, mm. but available to people who have that not-for-profit status. So mm. we are actually looking at some of those options because I guess for me is, you know, when, when we talk about what we're typing in, I want to make sure that remains sustainable. So I don't want to necessarily make money from it, but I also want to make sure it's sustainable so that, you know, if I'm not here, God forbid, one day, that will still continue to roll and that, you know, if something happens to my business or whatever, that we're not then kind of kicking. Yeah, because the worst thing, you touched on it before, like, you know, an example, that family, if their situation ended abruptly, that's catastrophic. It is. Yeah. And and not even just catastrophic in that they could end up in their car, but then they'll also have issues with trusting people again and mm. trusting organisations. And so we don't want to build all that trust and then do that. Mm. If people choose to leave on their own accord, we wish them all the best and that's fine. But, yeah, so the Enlarge Foundation is something that we are working on. We're hoping to launch it, you know, in the next little while. So um, – and. It will be purely about ways that we can engage business people mm. to, um, you know, assist with us in what we're doing. Matt, was there anything uh, that maybe I didn't ask you or something that was on your mind that you want to finish with today? No, no, other than I just think, you know, 
we we all have a part to play. Mm. Government, business, not for profits, charities, but I think we all have our part to play. And I I believe that you know through what we've been able to do, um, we're able to play our part. And um, we just want to encourage other people to to have a look at ways that they could do what they want to. And and anyone get in contact with me if you do have houses on the central coast that you're going, hey, I really love this idea well there are people who are homeless who could need it mm. and we would love to kind of partner with people yeah there you go well i hope that's been encouraging everyone it's just a you know in this crazy world it's always good to press pause have a listen to some real stories and some of the good that individuals like matt are doing particularly here in new south Wales central coast hunter newcastle but there's a variety of different stories i'm sure all over australia so if you are you know, looking to buy a property or you've got existing properties and you might think, well, maybe I could help. Yep. In fact, when we press stop, I'm going to talk to you about someone who I want to introduce you to because they told me they have 100 properties. Wow. And if you've got 100 properties, guess what? You'll be okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to call this individual and say, hey... Can I introduce you to somebody? And we'll see where that goes. That's great. <laughs> uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to Enlarge Foundation. And Matt, thank you so much for joining us on My Little Money and sharing a bit of your story. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.